Welcome. Welcome. Yes. Hello. I'm having technical difficulties. I'm sorry. That's okay. No problem. No problem. We are here. Okay. So we're doing this thing. When I tell you I was having technical difficulties as well, and I'm so sorry, you guys. Sorry that we are tardy, but listen, we are here now. This is Pieces of She Podcast. You froze up just a little bit, but listen, I can see you and I can hear you. So we are good to go. Um, I am your host, Trish, and co-host, she's back. Yeah. And Mo is in the house. Okay. I'm like, can you hear me? It's cool. I, I'm on my I can phone. hear you. Okay. So I know everybody probably thought I did something hey. to you, but I did it. <laughs> I didn't do anything to Cousin Mo. She is here. She's having some technical difficulties, but listen, we're going to get this thing together. Uh, This is season seven, you guys. We're on religion. You know, we've been talking about religion for the past 10 shows, and um, this is the finale. This is the 10th one. We have gone over uh, Christianity. We have gone over uh, the Baha'i faith, the Hebrew Israelites, Mormonism. We've gone over Buddhism. We've gone over uh, the Catholic religion. We've gone over Jehovah's Witness. We've gone over atheists and agnostics, even though that's not a religion, but you know, lack thereof, I guess. Um, We went over Scientology. And then today, oh my God, today, I'm so excited. Today, we are talking with the Nation of Islam, Muslims. Um, We have Brother Demetric Muhammad coming in and I cannot wait. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. I can't wait to learn. I can't wait to, you know, get some knowledge and figure out like what, you know, what it's all about. I'm excited. What about you, Cousin Mo? I am totally excited because I don't, I don't know anyone that is Muslim. So it's good to, you know, I'm all with the learning. All with it. So um, how are you? How, listen, how was your, your week, your weekend so far? Uh, it's just been, <laughs> the week been long though, because it was like a short, long week, you know, okay. holiday, but then, so yeah. it was those short, long weeks. And then this is busy season at work. So more overtime, you know, I don't Got really it. like overtime. So oh, not good. But, hey, in your hey. radio. Finale. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We are here. Um, so listen, before we get started, uh, we got tea time, right? Let me yeah, see. Let me check you out. Let me see if you guys can um, see my t-shirt. Okay. Can you read it? Can you black. read my shirt? I can, I can, black, black on black. On black on black. black, on black. All right. I was like, so I couldn't kind of see it because it like... <laughs> It, <laughs> I like that. That's a cute one. So let me tell you, first of all, uh, perfect underscore printing one. Yes, that's my company that I, that's my go-to. I love that company. They're great. They're very professional. They get your stuff out. 
Um, follow them on Instagram, perfect underscore printing one for your t-shirts and they do all different kinds of stuff. So um, reach out to them, follow them on Instagram. But what inspired this shirt is because I'm just feeling real black, right? Like we got our first <laughs> black uh, vice president of the United States of America. Um, I got this fly ass black lipstick on, right? <laughs> you got the black lips going. You got the black lips going. Hey, we got we got Black History Month in about what nine, ten days, something like that. Yeah. And then hey, we are talking to the nation of Islam today. So listen, black on black on black. I like love it. I'm feeling real black and proud right now. So um, I'm so excited. So excited. So excited. Um, thank you, Labrea. She says she loves my <laughs> shirt. Hey. And oh, sip and smoke. Yep. Hey there, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. So excited. Um, Cousin Mo, you got some moments? The only moment I really have is, no. <laughs> well, you know, it's been a, this, the last year was like a, you know, ugh. 2020 was bad for for me per se. Well, Not yeah. like, yeah, it wasn't great. So yeah. I just, you know, wanted to tell people like one of my moments was like, I, so I, I'm going to therapy this year. That's I found wonderful. me a therapist. So Did I'm trying buy? to do self, I'm working on the, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I think froze. that you froze. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I, I think that uh, black people. So we. I mean, especially so when they're starting out, should get somebody. a black real. Yeah. Can you see me? Uh huh. I can see you, and I can hear you. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. You're having some technical difficulties there. But listen, you say you. Oh, there you, you are. You think people should what? I think Black people, especially starting out, should start out with a Black therapist because, um, you know, this is new. And, and and yeah, you, you got to tune into somebody that's really going to understand, one, even your, your hesitation to coming in. <laughs> Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like a, it's like kind of taboo in the black community. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you yeah. gotta kind of get somebody to tell you it's all right, it's gonna be okay. Like, come on, I got yeah. you. So I was like, yay! So that was like my moment. I was like, I found some. I finally stepped up and said, let me do this because you know I've been kind of I've been supposed to been doing this for a long time now, but I was like, let me hurry up and get this like get this done. Cause I feel like I can't grow anymore if I don't. Gotcha. I need to, yeah. Well, good, good for you. Listen, so this is a finale show. So you get to get into your therapy and heal. You know what I mean? Heal. Yeah. Um, yes. We are on break and we'll talk about, about that, uh, you know, in our closing or whatever. But uh, listen, we're going to get started. I'm so like excited. I'm like nervous, excited and everything to learn all this goodness. Um, okay, so 
our guest is here. I'm excited. Let me uh, bring him in. Um, I want to introduce him. He is uh, Brother Demetric Muhammad. He's a minister in the Nation of Islam Research Group. He's also an author, author and columnist uh, where his work can be viewed and purchased um, at researchminister.com. Awesome website. Went on there and looked. There's some amazing things on there. Um, it is a pleasure having him on the show today. I cannot wait to learn. I can't wait to learn about, about the Nation of Islam. So let me bring him in. Do, 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 do. There he is, Brother Demetric. How are you? Sister Trish, I'm, I'm wonderful by the grace of God. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you so much. And for Cousin coming. Mo. Yes. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful to uh, get a chance to to speak with you all. What what city are you all coming to us from? Now we're in Las Vegas. Oh wow! Okay. Yes. Have you ever been here? I've been to Vegas once uh, to uh, actually uh, conduct a wedding uh, for a dear friend of mine uh, yes. whose wife is actually from Las Vegas, and uh, so. We were uh, blessed to be there and uh, had a great time. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Marriage is, is exciting and fun and I love love. So um, now where are you from? I'm coming to you out of Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. All right. Down All south. Right. All right. Somebody says you're looking sharp. Yes, he is. And that is one thing that I love about the Nation of Islam. You guys are always on point. So Thank you um, so much. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yes, yes. So listen, before we get started, um, Cousin Mo, we, at, oh, she, she just tuned out. I don't know what, she's been having some technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> we ask um, the famous five questions and she okay. don't really ask them, but let me see. Let me see if I can remember them off the top of my brain. Okay. You're, you're from Memphis, Tennessee. You said Memphis, Tennessee? Yes, ma'am. Okay, perfect. Um, and what are the other questions? All right. Um, one parent or two parent household? Are you from a one parent or two parent household? Uh, some of both. Uh, okay. My parents did divorce uh, when I was young. So I gotcha. would say uh, the early years was mom and dad. Yeah. Uh, dad was always, you know, in my life, uh, but they did uh, divorce uh, when I was a child. Gotcha. And then what about siblings? Do you have siblings? And then where do you fall in the lineup if you do? I'm number one of seven. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's a lot of kids. That is a lot of kids. That's wonderful. I love it. I love to see, you know, big families, but I just don't know if I would be able to have seven. Kids. <laughs> well, my, mo my mother only had four. And then okay. when my father remarried, he had more children. Gotcha. You know, so I, I've never subscribed to the notion of of half this and half that, you know, we're just brothers and sisters, you know? I get it. I get it. I love it. I love it. All right. And then are you, what generation uh, are you from? What uh, living generation? So baby boomer, gen uh, Z, gen Y. Um, oh, wait, cousin Mo's back. Hi, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're on the generation, so I know you have the years, so okay. <laughs> I don't know what's what. I heard you. So Gen Z, Gen X is 1960 to 79, Gen Y is 1980 to 94, and Gen Z is 95 to 
Gen X. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. And oh, go ahead. You're back now. Okay. <laughs> I think I think I think we only have one more as a sign. Somebody said that we were handling COVID better than anyone else because we were the original latchkey kids. <laughs> out there. We, we know how to be alone and be to ourselves and we don't have to be in groups and that kind of thing. So I thought that was hilarious. You know what? I'm with that. I, I get it. I'm I'm also in that generation. So um, I, I understand that for sure. Um, okay. So single parent or two parents? No, I, I did that one. I think the last one is his astrological sign. Oh. What is your astrological sign? Uh, I think it's Virgo. Yes. Yeah, Virgo. Mm. Okay. One of my siblings is a Virgo. So I like y'all. People, good people. <laughs> <laughs> good people. All right. Well, listen, before we get uh, into this, I just want to let you know that um, when I was younger, probably about 18 years old, I actually um, wanted to explore the nation of Islam. Um, so I was all excited. I grew up, you know, Christian. I, I, I was about 18 years old. I called my dad. I was like, dad, I had just seen the movie Malcolm X by Spike Lee. So I was like all pumped up. And so I was like, dad, I'm going to be a Muslim. And he was like, excuse me. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I'm going to be a Muslim. And he was like, uh, no. So, you know, when you're 18, you're very impressionable. So you, I was just like, uh. so then life happened. Um, you know, I got married at a young age. I had my child very early. So I never really explored it, but I've always been very fascinated with the nation of Islam, with the organization, with the focus on mm -hmm. Black people, uh, with the dedication, with the, um, you, you guys are very disciplined um, and always sharp. Everybody always looks nice. You guys are, all, you know, respectable and you respect people. Um, and so I really love that. And then you, everybody has confidence too, like confidence out of this world. So I'm just, <laughs> it just really, really, um, it's very attractive, you know, to, mm -hmm. to a young, a young black person. And so I just want to give my hats off to you. So that's why I literally am very excited today to learn more because I never really got a chance to dig deeper because you know you life <laughs> well i'm 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 very happy and very honored uh to be able to come on and be with you and and uh look forward to the dialogue any questions that you have uh it's like whenever i do q and I, I always remind everybody you know there's no such thing as a an irrelevant question or a dumb question i mean if it's if it's coming from a sincere place and something that you really want to know you know, I can't promise you that I'll be able to answer it, but I'll do my best. And uh, I pray that, you know, um, this this encounter tonight will give you some of that, uh, which, uh, as you stated, you didn't get a chance to to learn about. And uh, and, and hopefully it'll inspire you to, to go even deeper. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Ah, all right. Well, let's get started. Um, so until I did a little digging, because of course I knew you were coming. So I was like, okay, well, let me, I don't want to seem like I'm just totally, <laughs> totally green. So let me do a little digging. Um, so I didn't realize that there were different, um, types, you know, of so many different types of Muslims. I, I didn't really know that, you know, nation of Islam is one of like many, you know, you've got 
orthodox and sue me. Like there's all these different names. So can you just kind of give us an overall, you know, background, I guess, summary of what the nation of Islam is and then what, I guess, what the difference is between the, maybe the, the mainstream one and nation of Islam? Well, first of all, let me apologize for having an empty bookcase behind me as I look at it on the screen, but I've been moving over the last couple of weeks. And uh, ordinarily, if you ever see me, you know, I'm always got thousands of books behind me, but we haven't had an opportunity to uh, to unpack and, and that kind of thing. So I'm just catching a glimpse of this as I look at it, it's a bare bookcase. Um, but uh, you're right, like like most religions, uh, there are different schools of thought, uh, different communities. Uh, like you, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Baptist church, uh, actually down, down deeper in the South, uh, in Mississippi. Uh, so I come from, from that kind of very rural black church experience. And so uh, growing up, you know, I had one grandmother uh, that was a Baptist, but her husband was a Methodist, you know, and so they went to different churches, uh, but they were both Christian, you know, and so, of course, as Christianity has evolved over time, uh, there are many various denominations, and uh, Islam is is no different in that regard, uh, and that there are many what we would call sects, uh, S-E-T-S, uh, or Mathabs, as it is referred to in the Arabic language, that represent uh, different communities, different approaches to the religion, uh, many times different theological understandings of the religion, and certainly different uh, cultural expressions. So uh, many times when people think of a Muslim, they think of someone who is wearing the traditional Muslim garb that you see of people in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia. And even though Saudi Arabia is the place where the holiest sites or holiest cities of Islam are. Uh, Saudi Arabia is not the largest community or, or place, geographic region in the world for Muslims. Uh, so it's kind of, um, I guess, ironic that you know most of the world's Muslim population live in Southeast Asia, yet the mm -hmm. image of a Muslim is, is an Arab person. And so uh, I guess where the nation of Islam comes into play is that uh, it represents a movement uh, inside of America uh, for the uplift of the black community. Uh, our people have been here for more than 400 years, uh, now maybe 460 plus years. Uh, we have endured the worst treatment of any people found anywhere in the world our names were taken from us, our language was taken from us, our religion, our self-worth, our dignity. Uh, we were destroyed as a people. And so in 1930, a man came from the holy city of Mecca. His name is Master Fard Muhammad. Uh, you may have heard just a couple of months ago, uh, the hip hop artist Busta Rhymes uh, dedicated the first, uh, one of the first singles from his new music project uh, to Master Far Muhammad, but he came in 1930 and he came to Detroit, Michigan. In Detroit, uh, he encountered a lot of black people who were, as historians talk about, were part of the great migration. 
1877, you have what is called the end of Reconstruction, the Great Compromise of 1877 that involved the presidential election and the struggle between uh, Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden. And so in that compromise that is often called the great betrayal of the Negro, uh, many of our ancestors were left without the federal troops who had been sent at the end of the Civil War to the South to protect the newly freed slaves. And so the end of Reconstruction gives you the birth of the KKK and really open uh, terrorism, uh, white supremacy manifesting itself, the period of time of lynchings, et cetera. So many of our foreparents left the South and they thought that they could find a better. Uh, yeah, the it went out your uh, volume. Cannot hear you can right you now. Me? Okay. Wait, now I can. You can hear me now. Okay. Yeah. So you said they, uh, uh, they left and they thought they would find a better and then it went out. Right. Right. They thought they, they thought they would find a better life. You know, they, they wanted safety from from the night riders, the the lynchers, you know, who who uh, would, would would terrorize our people. And so many went to Detroit and uh, Master Far Muhammad uh, began uh, teaching uh, in an area of Detroit called Black Bottom, Detroit, uh, Paradise Valley, Detroit. These are historic uh, areas of the city of Detroit. And Detroit is the city where the Nation of Islam was founded. In September of 1931, he met a man by the name of Elijah Poole, who had left Georgia. You know, mm -hmm. some left Mississippi, some left Tennessee, some left Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina. We were, our people were escaping the South. Uh, there's a good book written about that called The Warmth of Other Sons uh, by Sister Isabel Wilkerson. That's a great book about uh, the Great Migration. But it was there where this mysterious man, uh, who what we would call today is biracial, he had a black father and a white mother. Mm -hmm. But to a lot of people during those days, he looked almost white. Uh, mm. And so he began uh, to uh, knock on doors. Uh, and he was at that time, he was using uh, as a way to meet black people in Detroit, he would sell raincoats, he was selling silks. And so as he encountered many uh, of our people at that time, and remember, this is the beginning of the Great Depression. So, you know, there's an old saying in the black community that, you know, when America gets a cold, black people, we get the flu. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> if, if everybody was suffering economically, you know, in the black community, we were doing even worse. And so he would entreat them uh, uh, with stories about uh, our African forefathers and foremothers and talk to uh, the black people that he met about the family that they had back east. And, and as they were intrigued about what he was saying, uh, he said, you know, I would love to, to tell you more about this. Why don't you gather some of your friends together and invite them over and I'll come back and share more. And so to make the long story short, this is the genesis of what is now called the Nation of Islam in America. And Master Farah Muhammad began to teach black people uh, what you've heard a lot, especially in hip hop, something called the knowledge of self. You know, and he began to guide us into uh, practicing the religion of Islam. He taught us not to eat pork. He taught us to, 
the, the power and the benefit of fasting. Uh, he taught us that we are the original people of the planet Earth. We are not, as some religious uh, teachings say, the cursed offspring of Noah's son, Ham. He said, but we come directly from the originator, directly from God himself. And, you know, of course, modern science and archaeology has proven that to be true. That's basically an established truth nowadays in archaeology and history that all human life and all civilization began in Africa, in the ancient Near East, etc. So he taught us many wonderful things and he began us on a journey of being mentally and spiritually, morally, economically and politically resurrected from the horrible condition and status that uh, chattel slavery uh, and white supremacy that is pervasive throughout America's institutions uh, had rendered us in. And so uh, sometimes there are other communities of Islam that disagree with aspects of the nation of Islam. And so that is no different than what you have in many different, you know, denominations or schools of thought. But what I'm always fascinated by and intrigued by as a researcher, as a historical researcher and someone who from the very beginning, because, you know, I came into the nation of Islam while growing up in the Mississippi Delta. Oof. So, you know, that's the scene for me coming into a religion, not just in the Bible belt, but really in the buckle of the Bible belt. Yeah. And so early on, I understood that I needed to be very sure about what I was getting myself into. And so I diligently studied it, investigated it, interrogated it, tried to poke holes through it. And time and time again, what I was learning proved to be true. And so um, I would just say that, you know, it's been the greatest decision that I have ever made uh, to become uh, a Muslim, uh, to become a follower of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad's teachings under Minister Farrakhan's leadership. And uh, I'm always very excited to talk about it. So uh, I'll give you permission to, to put a pen wherever you want me to put a pen, because I know you have other questions. <laughs> I do, I, I do. for a long time. So, well, I do have a question. So, so only African-American people can be a part of the Nation of Islam. Is that correct or? No, no we okay. have a, a, a rainbow of, of different hues uh, okay. within the nation. Uh, Minister Farrakhan has a Latino representative Gotcha. There are South Asian members of the Nation of Islam, there are Caribbean members of the Nation of Islam, that are members of the members of the Nation of Islam from Africa. You know, the movement, again, I, I use that term uh, because it helps as a way to talk about the nation. Uh, the movement uh, of the Nation of Islam is America is what we believe is a fulfillment of what the Bible and the Holy Quran and many scriptures from the peoples of the earth uh, have prophesied that at a certain point, at the end of Satan's time of rulership, at the end of the season of evil on this planet, that there will be a great resurrection. And mm -hmm. so the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and Minister Farrakhan have taught to us that it is those who are at the bottom who will be resurrected first. And gotcha. so we are the proverbial lost sheep 
that the Bible speaks of, the uh, lost member of the family. You know, Jesus famously says in the New Testament, if I have a hundred sheep and one of them get away, I will leave the 99 and I will go find the one to bring him back. Mm-hmm. And we were lost. You know, our people never knew we had family in Africa. You know, nowadays, you and I, as, as Generation X and those younger than us, you know, we take for granted, yeah, we came from Africa. But put yourself back in 1930, you know, when, you know, Black parents were given their children's names like John Henry and Willie May, you know, these traditional names, English names, but notice in Black America at a certain point, and, and a lot of times, we get mocked for this today, but it really is something very significant. At a certain time period, black mothers and fathers said, I'm no longer gonna give my sons and daughters those old fashioned names that helped to identify us with a period of time mm-hmm. when our parents were enslaved. And so many of us took, uh, were given African names and Islamic names and Asian names and Quite frankly, some of our parents just got creative and invented names. But it's <laughs> between, between the two, mom and the dad, exactly. Sharon and Keith. Uh, Keith. Keith Sharon. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's a positive development because it represents an awakening. Yeah. You know, it may not be perfect, but it represents progress in the right direction of us making a radical departure from our painful past as being an enslaved people. And so, um, but uh, I've forgotten the question, so I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Well, I'm glad you brought up the name thing because honestly, when doing a little research and, and, you know, dabbling in and reading, I, then it's very noticeable that the name Muhammad comes up time after time after time. So I was like, okay, this must really mean something. Yes. So uh, I I read that it means one worthy of praise and praise. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. One worthy of praise and one praised much. Okay. And is there a reason why that is like, I mean, is there any significance to it other than the meaning of it? But there's a lot of people with that you know, name Muhammad Ali, you know what I mean? Like a lot. So what what does that mean when someone's given that name? Sure. It's a great question. Uh, First and foremost, as you, your first question asked about uh, the different communities of Muslims, the different sects of Islam. And so one of the things that we all have in common is that we love, honor, and we revere the man who is acknowledged as the last of the prophets uh, to this world, the man by the name of Prophet Muhammad uh, of Arabia, who lived uh, a little over 1400 years ago. And it was this man in Arabia uh, who Allah, which is the Arabic word for God, uh, is not a different God, a separate God, a lower God, a greater God, you know, but, you know, if you were a Christian, for instance, and you spoke Arabic, if Arabic was your native tongue, when you referenced God, you would say Allah. The name Allah is the name for God of Arabic speaking people, irrespective of their individual religion. So uh, we believe that Allah revealed uh, to Prophet Muhammad 
the book of scripture of the Muslims, that which is called the Holy Quran. And so uh, since that time, you know, uh, the name Muhammad has become one of the most popular names uh, all over the world among the nearly two billion Muslims. Now, this is something that you and I may not pick up on because we speak English and we live in America. But it's similar to how in Central and South America, where Catholicism is predominant, many mothers give their children the name Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus is Spanish for Jesus. Gotcha. And so in the Spanish speaking world, uh, the name Jesus is very popular. Uh, and I remember someone telling me, uh, a, a Latino friend of mine was telling me about how uh, their son, whose name is Jesus, uh, the teacher did not want him to be called that because she said that that's Jesus and I can't call anyone else Jesus. So, you know, they had a big thing with the school system there and the racist attitudes of the teacher. Uh, but the name Muhammad, similar to the name Jesus or Jesus in the Latino world, very popular in the Muslim world. And so inside the nation of Islam, because the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was always very careful about giving to us his people that he loved um, names uh, before there was the development of character that the name reflects. So when I was growing up down south, for instance, the old people used to say, if you said GD, you know what I mean when I say when I say GD? He yes. said, boy, don't don't take the Lord God's name mm -hmm. in vain. Mm -hmm. Now, what that really comes from is the fact that when we were in Africa and when we were Muslims, because as many people found out by watching the movie Roots, most of our African foreparents were Muslims before we were brought to America to be made slaves. Well, that comes from a time when we would wear the names of God as our own name. So there are many names of God. But now if you wear one of the names of God that has a beautiful meaning, a powerful meaning, a significant meaning, but we don't see any evidence of what that name means in your life, then we have to say you've just taken a name for vanity's sake. You, you are wearing that name because it sounds good. So for instance, the name Hakim, that's one of the attributes of God in the Islamic religion. Hakim means the wise or the source of all wisdom. Well, if you say, well, I'm a Muslim now and I want to be called Hakim, but you're not a very wise person, you, you're not even trying to seek wisdom, then there may be a better name that fits your characteristics, you see. So when we come into the nation, actually, Sister Trish, the first thing that happens for us, we're given an X because the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said X means unknown. And since we don't know what our family name was when we were brought over here from Africa hundreds of years ago, those names are lost. So now we will have to take some time getting reacquainted with our true self and then seeing our God-given uh, characteristics shine forth and then we can be given a name. So some of us in the nation have the name Muhammad, but there are other names 
And that name Muhammad comes from, from, from us. In first instance, it comes from Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. But it also comes from the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, who is the man that Master Far Muhammad gave the assignment, the very difficult job of working among us to establish the religion of Islam and to, to, to put us on the road uh, of ultimate and complete resurrection. Gotcha. But you're right, it does mean one worthy of praise yeah. and one praise much. So we don't take that name initially. We have yeah. to live a while uh, trying to live a moral life, a righteous life. And if we do works that are commendable and praiseworthy, then we can wear that name. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so I you 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 have mentioned a lot of stuff that I want to touch on. So I just want to get to uh, you mentioned the the Holy Quran. Um, so do you guys is that the main book that you teach from? Do you also teach from the Bible as well, or just the Quran, or are there other books? Well, we teach from both. Okay, uh, and so like for instance, you've probably seen the brothers uh, in communities selling our newspaper. Yes. If you ever get a copy of our newspaper and you, uh, you can certainly Google it, but on the back page of each edition, you see what is called what do the Muslims want mm -hmm. and what do the Muslims believe? And then the section entitled what do the Muslims believe? You'll see uh, a paragraph that says something like we believe uh, in all of the prophets of God and the scriptures that they brought. We believe in the, the truths of the Bible, but we do acknowledge that over a great period of time, uh, the Bible has been tampered with and must be reinterpreted so that mankind won't be snared by some of the falsehoods that have been added to it. Uh, and so primarily our main book is the Holy Quran. But again, since our ministry is in America, America is not an Islamic society. And our ministry is primarily among our own black brothers and sisters. We were given Christianity during our enslavement. So, you know, the best of those who study educational pedagogy will tell you, uh, you have to start with the known and then gradually step by step, take the student into the unknown. So for our people, the Bible is the known and the Quran is the unknown. And gotcha. so in order to bridge that gap, we help our people to see especially the conditions that we face in America first in the Bible. The Bible is a beautiful book that I love, especially because as I have studied uh, the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and Minister Farrakhan, I can now identify many of the current events, the things that we are suffering and the history of our people written in symbolic language on the pages of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, so I got so many questions. All right, so uh, the Bible. So I, me growing up Christian, of course, you know, I believe uh, in Jesus. So I, I, Jesus is in the Bible. Is Jesus also in the Quran or wh who is Jesus, you know, in the nation of, of Islam? That's a wonderful question. Um, first of all, I say it like this. <clears throat> You can't be a Muslim if you don't believe in Jesus. Okay. And I had to put that out there because now, now are you originally from Vegas? Yes, I was born here. Okay. So you kind of come up in more of a multicultural world than, than I did yeah. coming up in the deep South. <laughs> but that was always the common misperception about Muslims. 
You know, even my mother and members of my family said, boy, the Muslim, they don't even believe in Jesus. Son. You're going to go and get yourself involved in that. You're going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have to always and I've lived my entire life reiterating uh, a basic truth that, you know, yes, Muslims believe in Jesus. Uh, we believe in Jesus so much so that uh, we strive to follow him, not just he prays upon him, but you know, as you identified us early as being people who are confident, people who are uh, who carry themselves in a respectful way and people who respect others. Well, Jesus did all of those things. Jesus modeled that example for all who would study his life. And I would just say that the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, you know, is probably I'm not going to say probably I'm just going to say, frankly, the greatest teacher of Jesus that you could ever find. And when the minister began to rebuild the nation of Islam, um, he went and he repurchased many of the old properties that we had prior to 1975 when there was a fall in the nation of Islam. In 1977, Minister Farrakhan stands to rebuild the nation of Islam. And when he repurchased our headquarters mosque, uh, he said that I'm going to name this mosque, the headquarters mosque of the nation of Islam after the mother of Jesus. Mm. So our headquarters mosque in Chicago, Illinois is called Mosque Maryam. Maryam is the Arabic of Mary. And in the Holy Quran, the 19th surah or the 19th chapter is called Maryam and it is named after the mother of Jesus. So in Islam and all Muslim communities, all you know, uh, Muslims uh, acknowledge the great value uh, of Jesus uh, and the great value of his mother, Mary, and the great value of his example that you know, if Christians, if Muslims, if Jews, if we follow that example, uh, there would certainly be more peace in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that question was, so are the Quran and the Bible similar? Do they have like this? So they don't have the same, not Genesis, Exodus, Levit, like. No. Okay. No, no. It's, it's, you know, it's like um, scripture, for instance, you know, from, from the perspective of religious studies is categorized as a body of literature and knowledge known as divine revelation. These are revealed texts. These are sacred texts. Uh, so it's not like somebody said, well, oh, the Bible is cool. Let me go over here and write my version of this. Okay. But just like the first five books of the Bible are considered to be revealed to Moses. Right. Then you have other prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets. Then you come into the New Testament with Jesus. Then after Jesus, you have the apostles. And so all of these men, mm -hmm. uh, God revealed a message to them. Okay. Subsequently, that message was documented, preserved, and, and put in book form. Gotcha. Uh, so that man that I referenced to you earlier, uh, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the Holy Quran was revealed to him. Gotcha. You know, so even though when you read the Quran now, you will be able to identify some familiar uh, characters, if you will. Jesus is mentioned uh, in the Quran. Moses is mentioned in the Quran. Uh, Elijah is mentioned in the Quran. Adam is mentioned in the Quran, but it is an entirely different book. Gotcha. 
Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, Okay. So you've mentioned uh, the Honorable uh, Louis Farrakhan a few times. So let's dive into it. (laughs) Uh, First of all, I just want to say that uh, on the 4th of July, I listened to the entire three hour, his three hour speech. Uh, It was called the 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 Criterion. Criterion. There we go. Did you get a chance to go to that? Did you go? Or? I was blessed to be present. Yes. yes oh, ma'am. that's great. Yes. That's great. Yes. I, yeah, I literally watched it for three hours. And so um, I know that uh, here in America, and I'm not sure if it's abroad or not, but uh, social media has you know, are trying to silence him. So has that, how is that for you guys, for the nation of Islam? And do, do you have another, like other ways that he's, he gets the word out? Is it just a final call? Um, because I watched him, I think it was you to, maybe not, maybe I just went on the website and it was there. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, it's, it's a great challenge for us. You know, uh, we're in a fight, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's a war. And so as I like to uh, tell the believers, you know, oftentimes religious folk think that God only commands them to pray, to fast, to be charitable, to engage in acts of kindness. But you know, the believing men and women from both the biblical perspective as well as the Quranic perspective have a duty uh, to defend the truth. Uh, we have a duty to contend for the faith. And so we are in a battle now uh, because you're right. There is uh, a lot of effort to keep Minister Farrakhan's voice from being able to positively impact the American people and people all over the world. And at the root of this is the, uh, the, the hatred of Minister Farrakhan's courage Uh, to speak truth to power, the hatred of Minister Farrakhan's courage uh, to, you know, in common language, call a spade a spade and to really pull the covers off of many powerful people in groups who like to remain hidden, even though they are behind the scenes doing a lot of dirty work. So if you read the New Testament of the Bible, for instance, the book of Thessalonians has a verse that says, and that day shall not come until the man of sin is revealed. And so what you heard in that criterion was the minister helping to reveal the man of sin, helping to expose the hidden hand of Satan uh, in the life of black people in America, as well as in global affairs. And so we continue to fight against the, the efforts to censor Minister Farrakhan, uh, of course, we have our own website, NOI.org, and uh, you can always go there each Sunday morning to hear a very powerful and inspiring message. Um, but the minister, uh, that message was a very important message. It was an important message to the minister. It's an important message to us and, and everybody that has watched it has been deeply impacted by it because in the midst of COVID-19, many people were shut in and at home. And so, you know, we've all been consuming a lot in terms of content on the internet. And that was the first time that Minister Farrakhan had trended in all of the social media platforms. And he was in the top 10 Google search results for that day. Uh, And I was blessed to be with him the morning after. And at that time, his social media representative 
uh, reported that uh, it had already been viewed more than a million times. And so mm-hmm. uh, we are very grateful for that message. And I'm, and I'm happy that you got a chance to, to watch it. Yeah, he's he's a, a great uh, a great speaker, and he captivates you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, so I know, so I know that you guys don't uh, participate in the Pledge of Allegiance or sing the national anthem or anything like that. And we just had this, you know, our inauguration. Um, awesome to me, awesome inauguration on uh, Wednesday. Do you guys vote? Do you guys participate? Politically? We do vote. We do okay. vote. Uh, Primarily, we see the value of voting uh, being more tied to local and state elections uh, as opposed to the national election. You don't see us involved a whole lot in the national election. Mm -hmm. But the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in 1963, he frightened a lot of people because he announced through Malcolm X at that time that the Muslims would begin. Uh, a major thrust into electoral politics. And so since that time till now, you have seen a greater involvement of the nation of Islam uh, in politics on the local level. We have uh, a dear brother of ours who is the mayor of Benton Harbor, Michigan. Uh, We have countless brothers and sisters who are older men and women, uh, council persons throughout various cities and towns across America. But, you know, we emphasize to our people that we cannot see electoral politics in a salvific way. In other words, our salvation is not going to come as a result of what we do at the ballot box. Gotcha. Uh, we can get a lot out of politics, Minister Farrakhan has said to us, if we would do as other communities do, if we would unite and prioritize the development of economic strength and unity first. Because the reality of it is, you know, it's, it's, you know, like the old saying, you know, power concedes nothing without a demand. Well, in America, you make that demand with your money. And so since we don't have the kind of strong economy that we once had, you know, a lot of people, you know, forget that even under segregation, which was not ideal, Uh, We had our own contiguous communities that are very similar to what you see now in terms of ethnic enclaves, right? So I don't know about Vegas, but in a lot of major cities, you have Chinatown, you have Greektown, you may have little Africa, you may have little Haiti. Well, these are what sociologists refer to as ethnic enclaves. And when you are in Chicago and you're riding on that train and you begin to see you know, those those letters in Mandarin, you know, you're entering Chinatown. And once you get there, the people have their own language. They have their own culture. And this is still Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's still the USA. Uh, but these are people who not through voting, but simply through unity and pooling their resources. They have come together and say, we want to buy this building. Then a little time more goes along and say, well, we want to buy that building. We want to buy that building. You know, we want to move our people over here. We want to move our people over there. And just through unity and the pooling of our resources, not just money, but time, talent, expertise, and all resources, they stake a claim in many major cities in America to say this will be ours. And guess what? 
We just blindly vote Democrat. But when those who go and they campaign in the Asian community and the Latino community, they go there knowing these people will vote in a block. And if we want their vote, we have to agree to their agenda. Mm. They, so they go there and they ask them, I want your vote. What do I have to do to get your vote? What do I have to promise you? But as many people nowadays have acknowledged, black people are so beholden to the Democratic Party, they know we're going to vote Democrat when election time comes. They pretty much take us for granted. And so there's a lot of emphasis on voting. But when, you know, the rubber meets the road, we get the least from the electoral po political process. Uh, and quite frankly, there's a phenomenon now called the no-show paradox. I wrote an mm -hmm. article and an essay about it, but it shows how even in many of the ethnic communities, they benefit more from American society and many of them don't even vote at all. Mm. You know, So we really, uh, it is our position in the nation that we have to evaluate uh, the value that we place on voting, even though voting does have value. Gotcha. Well, one one thing that really fascinated me about when I was reading um, about the Nation of Islam was the Muhammad University of Islam. Now, for, I, I don't I didn't really get to dig much into it, but from what I understand, um, this is a, a school basically um, for young children. So I'm speaking foundation. So it looks like you guys, you know, train the children from their foundation about this unity that you speak of and economic, you know, uh, development and things like that. So I saw black children getting taught by black teachers, men and women, you know, about, uh, physical training. I mean, of course, math, science, everything, um, but cooking, fine arts, uh, chess even, which is, you know, the brain, um, farming and agriculture. So is this uh, like a mandatory thing for Muslim children to attend the Muslim university, you know, uh, University of Islam? It's not mandatory, okay. but it is encouraged and most of the believers uh, strongly desire uh, to place their children in the Muhammad University of Islam. Uh, our largest and most prominent one is in Chicago, which is uh, our headquarters city. Uh, but there are Muhammad Universities of Islam uh, all throughout America. Not every city where there is a mosque or a study group uh, has a community strong enough uh, to establish a school. So sometimes you have a lot of believers in cities uh, who would love to be able to live in a city that has a Muhammad University of Islam. But education is at the core of the work of the nation of Islam. The most honorable Elijah Muhammad would always say that, you know, we need to be retaught as a people. We need to be re-educated. And that the root of that retraining and re-education must be the knowledge of self, the knowledge of God. And so that's at the root of what you see in terms of the educational system in Muhammad University of Islam. And from a historical perspective, uh, the Muhammad University of Islam on this side of Reconstruction was uh, one of the first independent black school systems in America. 
So many nowadays, you, you know, it's not hard to find an independent black school here or there, but many of them, when you talk to the founders, they will tell you they were inspired by the Muhammad University of Islam. In fact, the very first time that the Nation of Islam ever got in trouble uh, with law enforcement was in Detroit, the city of our founding, when the early Muslims, the pioneers at that time, they were just establishing the Muhammad University of Islam. So the authorities in Detroit was like, you know, you know, what's, what's with these black folk taking children out of public school, talking about they got their own school over here. And so they literally came and arrested teachers, you know, oh, and God. they began to disrupt families. And so the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, you know, he went down there and says, you know, I'm I'm in charge. You know, you you arrest me, don't arrest them. You know, but we literally had to go to court and fight for the right to educate our own children. And so now there are many different other religious communities, many different Afrocentric communities and movements uh, that are able to do that. But in the early days, uh, the Muslim followers in the nation of Islam had to fight for that. And so uh, we're very proud of the work we've done in the work of educating our children, but it's so much more for us to do. Well, I, I actually really love that. And I think that that's, that's where it all has to start from the children, you know, yes. like you got to yes. educate that way. So um, I, I hear you when, when you say that, you know, um, black people need to unite together, um, especially to make some change for us in this country called um, the United States of America. Um, and like you said, not just blindly vote, uh, Democrat, but strategically vote for people that are going to do what we need them to do in order to to, to have our lives better, you know? Um, so I, I am so like, I really love a lot of the things that you guys do. I do. I, I love, I, I in reading about it, I loved it a lot. And I have so many more questions, but I do want to respect your time. <laughs> well, you know, this time. is COVID, COVID-19. So, you know, I don't have a whole lot of places to go <laughs> during the <laughs> pandemic, so I don't mind. I don't know what your show normally runs, but uh, yeah, I'm, normally I'm honored to be an hour. Ask your questions, your questions. If you're okay with me asking the questions, I'm going to ask them. <laughs> sure, sure. Go, go right ahead. All right. So speaking of this um, uh, unity and the organization of it, of Black people and things like that, how does the Nation of Islam, how did they um, view the Black Panther Party, who was trying to do a lot of the same stuff as far as uniting Black people and, and you know, uh, getting them together? And then two, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Now, I know he, he wasn't a Muslim. However, he was very organized in the way that he was trying to move um, Black people forward. How does the Nation of Islam, um, I guess, the relationship between those two? Yeah, that's very funny because I wrote an essay and the title of the essay was, was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. a Black Muslim? <laughs> <laughs> because he was good at it. <laughs> it, it you know, it's, it's, it's meant to be somewhat provocative to draw in readers. Uh, but in reality, what we showed in the essay is that, you know, most of the time when you talk about that era, the 60s and the civil rights movement and the black power movement, you know, people talk about that and they place Dr. King and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad as polar opposites of one another. 
And so through our historical research, we were able to show uh, many areas where Dr. King and the most honorable Elijah Muhammad Nation of Islam were on the same page. And it was a very famous meeting between the two men in 1966. And, you know, from our perspective, looking at, okay, 1963, I have a dream. But Dr. King lives another five years. And most of the time, those who are in charge of promoting and essentially marketing Dr. King, they don't talk to us much about the Dr. King from 1963 onward up until 1968 when he was assassinated. And it is because from 63 to 68, he's evolving and he is taking a more practical, a more pragmatic, a more realistic approach to a solution to the problem between black people and white people in America. And in 1966, he had, again, a very famous meeting with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And there's a picture that circulates on the internet that shows the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, another brother, who I forget his name, he was an attorney, I believe, uh, and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is shaking the hand of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Coretta Scott King is also in the photo and she has a very big smile on her face. And so they had a wonderful meeting. And of course, two men, as we talk about in the essay, sons of the state of Georgia, sons of Baptist preachers, love their people on the front lines for their people. They had a lot in common. And they had agreed to do some things in Chicago because everybody associates Dr. King's work in the South. Dr. King did a lot of work in the North, especially in the city of Chicago. And so uh, if you notice one long after that, that the, the, the effort to neutralize Dr. King intensified. And of course, he was assassinated in this city in 1968. But uh, even though we in certain parts of our history, the Nation of Islam was critical of the things that Dr. King uh, was doing in terms of integration, you know, because Dr. King promoted integration. We advocate separation and independence. And so early on, there was some back and forth. But again, after 1963, you begin to see Dr. King move closer in terms of when he stated that he could see how a temporary separation might be necessary in route to a totally integrated society. So you see him backing away from 100% integration and making room in his analysis for the need for separation. Again, not that we're trying to advocate some Jim Jones type of separate society where you know millions of people are gonna go and drink Kool-Aid and die. <laughs> but again, look at what we have now. We have these major cities and we got the hood and the hood is often a place nobody really wants to be. We all are working just to get enough paychecks to be able to move out of the hood. But if you live in Chinatown, Chinatown is nice. If you live in Greektown, Greektown is nice. If you even live in places where African and Caribbean immigrants have built for themselves, these are nice parts of town. So we say, why don't we do that? Why don't we build our own communities and make the hood a nice place to live before those who want to gentrify the hood come and they buy it all up, they redevelop it, and then they price us out of it. So we have to move to other areas of the city. So the Nation of Islam, 
has great love, honor, and respect for Dr. King, great love, honor, and respect for the Black Panther Party. Uh, if you want to look at their ideology, the Black Panther Party uh, considered Malcolm X to be like their patron saint. Okay. They drew a lot of inspiration from Minister Malcolm X. And so, of course, Minister Malcolm X is from the Nation of Islam. So uh, I recently published a book about Malcolm's assassination. And, and in that book, I say, well, you know, Malcolm was a son of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. And so the Panthers are sons uh, and daughters of Malcolm. So they're kind of like the grandchildren, you know, of the Nation of Islam. And we have a wonderful relationship, even with the new uh, Black Panther Party, because Minister Farrakhan has said to us, even if we have ideological differences, even if we have different approaches to finding a solution to our people's problems, even if we have different religions, what we have in common outweighs our differences. So let's find ways to unite. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you so much for clearing that up um, for me. Cause it's, you know, on the outside looking in, it's like, I wonder if they were friendly with each other, you know? Um, and like I said, I don't, I didn't get to dabble as much as I wanted to um, in 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 this religion, so uh, I really appreciate it. Um, so these are basic questions here. Sure. Um, so do you guys meet on a certain day of the week? Is it you mentioned Saturday? Is that is Saturday the day that that uh, most Muslims join for a service or? Well, in terms of worship, yeah, universally, worship. universally, throughout the Muslim world. Uh, the largest meeting is normally on Friday. Gotcha. Okay. On Friday, we have what is called a big congregational prayer service. Uh, it's called Juma. Uh, it is a congregational prayer. So oftentimes you see pictures of Muslims praying, bowing, you know, they, they look like they're in ranks of, of soldiers, you know, and they're, they're praying. Uh, that's normally the Juma prayer. Uh, that takes place each Friday. Uh, now, from a theological perspective, um, Islam does not acknowledge a Sabbath, if you will. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people say, well, Friday is the Muslim Sabbath. Um, but from the Islamic perspective, we don't say that there is a day for God or God. a day for worship. Uh, we acknowledge that, you know, each and every day belongs to the Lord. And each and every day is a day to worship and praise him. Uh, so Friday is just the day that has been established for us through our religion to be the day that even if you have not been able to get together with your brothers and sisters any other day of the week, most Muslims really work hard to get to the mosque or the masjid on Friday for Juma prayers. Uh, in the Nation of Islam, uh, we also have meetings uh, on other days of the week. Uh, early on in the nation of Islam, our meeting places were called temples. Mm. Uh, now they're called mosques. And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad explained that a temple is a place for teaching. And he identified that the greatest need among our people, the black man and woman of America, is the need for knowledge, the need for wisdom. You know, uh, we can't forget for many years in America, it was against the law to even teach a black man and woman how to read. Mm -hmm. So we had laws in this country against us being educated. 
So you mentioned the Muhammad University of Islam. Well, in the early years of the Nation of Islam, when the Muhammad University of Islam was established in Detroit, both the parents and the children were in class together. Mm. Because in 1930, literacy was not necessarily high among black people. And sometimes in the early days, the students uh, or the children would teach the parents, you see. So um, education is so important to us uh, that we have meetings throughout the week under normal circumstances. Uh, we have a men's class that meets uh, normally on Monday nights, you see. And that's a class where black men are trained and taught principles of manhood. Uh, what should we do as fathers? What should we do as husbands? You know, how should we be as stand-up men in our communities? Uh, on Wednesday, normally we have like a midweek service. It might be analogous to like a Wednesday Bible mm -hmm. study in the church. Uh, and oftentimes we, we may do different things. Uh, there may be an actual spiritual message that's delivered. We may study some of our literature or study the Holy Quran. Uh, Friday, we have Juma prayer in most of your major mosques. Uh, and Friday evening, we also get together uh, for study group. Uh, in 1985, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, uh, he developed a course of study called self-improvement, the basis for community development. And in that course of study, the minister directs the believer or guides the believers in how to um, undergo a process of self-examination, self-analysis and self-correction. Because, you know, unfortunately, uh, a lot of times we get knowledge, but we don't have character development. A lot of times we get religion, but we don't really practice righteousness. And so nowadays, Sister Trish, you know, a lot of young people, you know, they don't want to have nothing to do with nobody's religion because a lot of them have been exposed to religious hypocrisy. Mm. A lot of them have been exposed to men and women in religion who always want to go around judging them. And so Minister Farrakhan said, let's not be those kinds of people. Let's not be self-righteous, but let's be sincere. Let's humble ourselves and recognize the truth of that old saying. My old football coach used to say it like this. He says, son, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Mm. And so that's a universal truth. We all have work to do on ourselves, especially if we believe in a higher power, especially if we believe in God. He has a standard. And when we see what his standard is, and then we look at where we are, we see there's a gap. We see that there's a distance between the life that we live and the life that God wants us to live. Mm -hmm. So that's where in real religion is. Real religion is not preaching, singing, worship, putting on nice clothes, put your, put your Sunday, go to meeting clothes on and go to church or go to the mosque, etc. But real religion is what we do every day the mm -hmm. lifestyle that we live. Can we say that what we are doing as in terms of our daily habits, the way we treat other people, the values that we have, do we really believe, can we say that this would be pleasing 
to our creator. You see, and so that that's what takes place on Friday night. Saturday, there's a, a sister's class and no men are allowed in the sister's class. <laughs> and it's similar to the brother's class where sisters get a chance to talk about, you know, motherhood, uh, being a wife, being a sister, you know, the issues that black women face in America and how can as a community of spiritual women how they can reach out to sisters who may be in abusive relationships, how they can reach out to sisters who may be on public assistance and need some support, you know? And so uh, that's the Saturday class. And normally we have, we, we continue to have a, a Sunday meeting uh, because again, uh, being in a predominantly Christian society, uh, it's important to be able to engage uh, with our people uh, during a time where they are most used to receiving religious instruction, and uh, and that's that's Sunday morning. So right. we we try to get together throughout the week to to keep the uh, the fire of faith lit in our hearts. Well, that's a lot of getting together. So <laughs> <laughs> listen, I, no, I hope I didn't no. discourage you. No, Man, no, no, they no. Meet all the time. <laughs> I think it's necessary, um, and and you can see that it pays off because uh, you guys literally are on, on the same page. You know what I mean? Everybody is focused and, and doing the, the work, you know, so uh, it definitely pays off. Um, Trish, let me, yes. let me pause for one second. It's yeah. computer said I need to plug it up. So oh, okay. The battery. Okay. No problem. <laughs> nope. Okay. Good. I'll, I'll get the most important questions out of the way here. Um, you guys, if you guys have any questions uh, for Brother Dimitri, please put it in the comments. I'll ask him. Um, this is just really interesting to me because uh, I'm learning a lot. Um, I think I asked, though, a lot of my questions. Oh, I did want to ask if they pray a lot. Um, how many times they pray? Um, like I said, pray a certain amount of times a day. Um, I don't know. I, heard, I, I think I read it was like five times a day or something like that. So I'm going to ver verify that. Um, also, I know he mentioned um, that they don't eat pork. So I'm just going to see if there's any other things that is recommended that they don't eat or or drink. I know they don't drink or drugs or anything like that. So um, doo -doo 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 -doo. those are a couple questions that I have. Okay. Okay, there I'm you back. Are. <laughs> Plugged in. All right. Perfect. So a couple of questions I had was, I know you guys do a lot of meeting, but how many times do you pray a day? Do you, do you pray like a certain amount of times a day? And I, I read mm -hmm. that you, you have to turn East mm -hmm. and is that to Mecca yes. in the direction of Mecca? Okay. Yes. Um, <clears throat> if you read any book about the religion of Islam, uh, normally they will say that Islam is organized around five basic principles. And the second of those basic principles is the principle of prayer. Uh, so sometimes it's described as the five pillars of Islam. And so uh, part of the Islamic religion uh, says that, you know, prayer should be at least five times per day. Uh, but as I often say, you know, that's a minimum. It's not to be construed as a maximum because, you know, from the biblical perspective, there's a verse that says uh, 
and now pray without ceasing. So in truth, you know, prayer is a ritual in one sense where you see the Muslim and he's standing, bending, bowing and prostrating on a prayer rug. Everyone has seen Muslims do this. Uh, but that's the ritual of prayer. The principle of prayer is the principle of man and woman being in direct communication with God without an intercessor, without a mediator, you see. Now, as I tell brothers a lot, because I, I do a lot of in work in prison ministry, and one of the things that, that I emphasize to brothers is this, you know, if you could identify someone that you really look up to, you really admire, they could be an athlete, they could be a singer, they could be uh, a scientist, a politician. If you could spend five periods of time each day with them, do you think that your life would improve? Do you think that the ideas that you have in your mind would improve? Do you think you would learn some things? I mean, ultimately, I mean, if you're a business person and, and I don't know if you could go and be with Warren Buffett or any billionaire, you into business, you know, I, I'd like to believe that if you could see him, if he said, you can come and see me five times a day, every day, at a certain point, there would be some evidence that you know you're being able to communicate with this very powerful person, this very wise person, this very wealthy person, you see. So, you know, the emphasis is that if you are able to, and certainly God, Allah, so much greater than Warren Buffett or any of these other celebrities that people look up to, the idea is that through spending five periods, not just the ritual, but if you spend five periods a day talking to God, then at a certain point, God is always on your mind. And if God is always on your mind, then he's coloring your thoughts. He's affecting your thinking. A few years ago, there was a wonderful marketing campaign and I hope it was not just for commercial success, but I used to see it in, in Bible bookstores a lot and it was called WWJD. What mm -hmm. would Jesus do? It was yeah. on t-shirts, mugs, wristbands, etc. And I liked it because if you believe in Jesus and if you get into a situation in your life and you want to know what you should do, well, if you believe in Jesus, if you ask yourself, if you take the fraction of a second, what would Jesus do? And then you follow that even if you don't know what he would do, but just considering knowing him knowing something about him and his goodness, his righteousness, his strength, his devotion, mm -hmm. you see, nine times out of 10, you're going to make a good decision. Nine times out of 10, you're going to make a decision that, you know, is a safe decision, a successful decision, an effective decision. And so we see prayer is not just a ritual is the point I'm making, but we see prayer is as believers, we want to adopt the mind of God. Mm -hmm. See, because you shouldn't just be able to have God's word when you're reading scripture. You should read the scripture. You should pray. But if you do this and make this a habit, then when you close your Bible, when you close your Holy Quran, your thoughts now, it's kind of like 
you know, sometimes I um driving down the road and I'm listening to music. And I turn the car off. But the song that was just playing is still mm-hmm. playing in my head. Yeah. As I walk into the house. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, wow. You know, I just turned the radio off, you know, turn the car off. But that song is still playing in my head. So the mind can be programmed and is susceptible to ideas. Believers should allow God's word to program their thinking. And these five periods of prayer help us to elevate the quality of our thinking uh, in route to possessing the mind of God. Gotcha. That makes total sense. <laughs> I guess I never thought about it that way. I just felt like, geez, that's a lot of, that's a lot of praying, but I get it. I get the right, importance. Right. Um, also, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you all don't um, eat pork. And is there anything else that you don't do? Um, I know drugs and alcohol, that's a given. Um, well, maybe it's not a given. I don't know. What What are you permitted to not to indulge in? No, you're correct. You know, the Holy Quran says to the Muslim, uh, O you who believe, go not near intoxicants or games of chance, you see. So uh, games of chance, you know, would be like gambling and, and these kinds of things. So, you know, we, we do try to live a moral life. Um, it might be analogous from the Christian perspective. You know, there are certain churches that practice what is called holiness, you see. And these are many times communities where they are, you know, particular about their moral conduct. And we try to be particular about our moral conduct because first and foremost, we believe that we are direct descendants from God. And God is righteous. God is holy. So righteousness and holiness is baked into our nature as the original people of the planet. So you will never hear us say we're converting someone to Islam. No, because when you convert something, you're making something into something else that it's not. No, we are accepting the knowledge of ourselves and trying to become what we were always originally intended to be when Allah God created us, you see? So we as a people, are naturally righteous. And so we should practice a righteous lifestyle. We should practice a lifestyle where we are attentive to our health, you know? And so we don't eat pork, we don't drink, we don't smoke from a religious perspective. But now let's look at science. Let's look at health. If you know anything about what a pig is and what he does, I don't think an intelligent person, regardless of what their religion is, will want to put that kind of thing in their mouth. You, you messing know. with my bacon. <laughs> you messing with my bacon, you know, brother. I, I, I'm just <laughs> saying, you know, from the perspective of non-religion, you know, and you can, you know, and you can just go and, and look at the studies and look at, you know, what's contained in this animal and it's it's strange that not eating pork has become a identified with muslims mm. because the injunction uh against the consumption of pork is found in the bible 
Yeah. And 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 it was never repealed. You know, so there are many people who are Christians, they eat pork. But, you know, the reality of it is the Bible condemns it, you know. And if you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? I, I, I read a book one time, the good he book, Sister bacon. Trish. Winnie <laughs> Bacon. <laughs> but but the book, Sister Trish, was called What Would Jesus Eat? Mm. Excellent book. And the author very candidly said, you know, let me tell you, Jesus would not eat pork, you know. And he, and he breaks it down, explaining it, because especially if you believe Jesus was Jewish, you know, which, you know, as Muslims, we believe he was a Muslim. But let's just say you believe he was Jewish. Oh, your your volume went out. Oh, your I can't hear you. No. Can you hear oh, me? Okay, now I can. Okay. Um but the 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 Jews, the Orthodox Jews, uh, they don't eat pork because of the commandment of Moses, you see. Um, and Jesus said in the New Testament, think not that I came to change the law of Moses. I came to fulfill it. So there was never a repeal from the biblical perspective of the dietary laws of Moses. And I'm just saying that most intelligent people and people who, who want to improve the quality of their health, they try to abstain from red meats, uh, especially pork, um, because, you know, what you eat and what you consume ultimately affects the way you think and act mm -hmm. with the high rates of hypertension, obesity, diabetes in the black community. We have to become a people that are more conscientious about what we put into our bodies. Gotcha. gotcha. All right. I understand that. <laughs> I, I do. No, I get it. I get it. It's true. It is true. Um, so let me ask you this question. You guys, there's a lot of structure. There's a lot of structure, which I think is excellent. I think it's necessary. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, meeting and learning and praying everything. What happens if people don't do right? And, and, and I'm asking you this because um, I, we've learned about all kinds of religions this uh, season. We've mm -hmm. learned about Jehovah's Witness, Baha'i, mm -hmm. uh, Catholic, like we've done a little research on them all, you know? Um, what do you guys like kick people out if they're not doing right? Like excommunicate, I think the is it Jehovah's Witness, they do the, uh, I forget what they call it. Uh, it's not excommunicated. It's called something else. But anyway, do you guys have that where if people are just not doing the right thing, they just simply can't be a part of the organization? Well, what, what we do, we have a law. Okay. And when, excuse me, mm -hmm. when the Nation of Islam was founded in America, Master Farad Muhammad, uh, gave to us a law. It is called the restrictive law of Islam. Um, and these are laws that govern our moral conduct and help to ensure that we live the life of a Muslim and not just talk the talk of a Muslim. And so in our law, if you're found to be in violation of it, then you have to go away uh, from the community for a period of time. 
work on yourself, you know, as they say, kind of like a gut check. It's like, man, you know, I didn't realize I had gotten off the path. You know, I'm out here misrepresenting. You know what I mean? Let me get my act together and then I can come back, you see. And so that's what we have in the nation. You know, if you want to, you know, drink and, and indulge in drugs and promiscuity or adultery or these kinds of things, then you have to do that away from the mosque because the mosque is a place where we're trying to improve ourselves. We're trying to build a righteous community. So if you have some weaknesses or impediments that cause you to break, you know, our moral code of conduct, again, that is called the restrictive law of Islam, then you just take some time out, you know, and go and, and try to get that together. And then you come back, you know, and most people come back. Okay. Understand. Okay. I like that. I like the fact that you don't just like get rid of them, no, you know, like no, they can come no. back once they get it together and have See, a chance. The reality of it is this yeah. is Trish in the law that master Far Muhammad gave to us is an extraordinary. Oh, it went out again. Okay. And in the law that Master Far Muhammad gave to us, Sister Trish, is an extraordinary amount of mercy. And I say this because you asked me earlier about scripture. Well, the Bible and the Holy Quran spell out the law of God as it was revealed to the prophets. And for cer certain violations, if you've read the Bible, you know, certain violations call for stoning, you see. Now, if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, you can't equivocate over that, even though many people do and say, well, that was then and this is now. But to do that is what you're doing. But the scripture says this is what the punishment is. So when you travel into many Islamic countries around the world, there are aspects of that law that are carried out. But the law is able to be carried out in that kind of way in societies where Islam and Christianity and Judaism is baked into the culture of the society. And so in those societies, it's a lot easier for people to obey the law of God. You don't have liquor stores on every corner. You ain't got strip clubs in the neighborhood. You ain't got no dope boys running around. These are societies where they have really worked hard, not that the people are perfect, but they have worked hard to remove sinful influences from their societies, you see? And this is why I always get a little upset when I hear the news media talk about how certain countries won't allow American companies and American TV and popular culture to come into their country. Mm. And they say it like, well, these are people who don't like freedom. These are people who don't like democracy. No, these are people who do not want the rather immoral and often perverse popular culture of America influencing the people in their societies, mm. you see? And so in those societies, the law of God sometimes is executed just the way it's written in the scripture. 
But Master Far Muhammad saw black people in America not growing up and living in a righteous society. So he put mercy into that law to give us a chance to clean up our life and come back into the righteous practice of our true nature, which is really Islam. Islam only means obedience to God, submission to God's will. And that's our nature, you see. But we needed the ability to come up out of you know, this is, I mean, I don't have to tell you, you live in Las Vegas. So <laughs> you understand <laughs> what I'm saying probably better than anyone else. A place that is, you know, affectionately referred to as Sin City. Yeah. Know? So, you know, if God comes to Sin City, ain't too many people going to survive his judgment unless he is merciful and gives us such a people who have been doing this for so long time to come up out of it. And so, you know, the law in the nation of Islam is very, very merciful. And uh, and so we're very thankful for that. Yeah. Well, thank God. <laughs> well, listen, you, you mentioned if God were to come right now, right? Mm -hmm. Are we ready? Let me ask you this. What what happens when you when you die, according to the nation of Islam? Um, is there a heaven? Is there hell? The Honorable Elijah Muhammad and Minister Farrakhan teach us that heaven and hell are two conditions of life. Okay. He said like to us that, is that yes, in the okay. quality of life you have. He said that, you know, our life was so miserable during our enslavement on plantations in America. It was only until seven, is around 1744 before black people in America were even allowed to be Christians. Our first four parents came over here in 1555, but our oppressors were so brutal. They did not want us to have any religion. They did not want us to have any connection to God. And before they permitted us to be Christians, Sister Trish, they had a big argument. The big argument that they had was that from the Christian perspective, the Bible says that in Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no bond, there is no free, all are one in Christ. So from the doctrine of the New Testament, if your slave becomes a Christian, then your slave has to be freed. Gotcha. And so there was a big controversy over the introduction of the religion of Christianity to our enslaved foreparents. So they literally had to go and doctor up the religion. So to, to specifically state, and this was actually put in law and, and part of the laws that were called the slave codes. They literally had to write. Oh, it went out when you were talking about the slave codes. Yeah, I, okay. I, it, it said that they, they literally made laws to say that we don't care what the Bible says. If a slave becomes a Christian, if he's baptized, we're still not going to free him. And so not only did they do that, but, you know, historians have a wonderful African-American history museum in D.C. And I, I can't wait to go and visit it. Me but too. I've read about some of the wonderful things that they have there. 
And one of the things that they have there, Sister Trish, is something called the Slave Bible. I heard. And if you Google the Slave Bible, you'll see that the Slave Bible was a Bible where the plantation owners had ripped out most of the powerful parts of the Bible, especially those parts where it says that in the case of a master and a slave, God is on the side of the slave. In the case of oppression or an oppressor and the oppressed, God is on the side of the oppressed. And so they took out the parts of the Bible that would inspire the slaves to rise up and overthrow their masters. And then they gave that to one of the more docile slaves. They made him a preacher and they told him what to preach, you see. And part of that doctored up religious teaching that was given to us was to tell our enslaved foreparents, don't you worry. I know you see us as masters. We live in good. We got mansions. We got servants. We got nice clothes. We got money. Don't you worry about any of this heaven while you live. You're going to get yours when you die. So that doctrine of a sweet pie in the sky after you die was a part of our enslavement. So mm. the Nation of Islam, again, this movement for the mental, spiritual, and even physical resurrection of black people says we have to undo the lies that were told to our people in the name of religion. And so and you find now the Pope has said the same thing in one of his homilies a few years ago, the Pope of Rome said the same thing, that heaven and hell are two conditions of life. See? So I know a lot of people don't like to think like that because we've been trained in such a way religiously, you know, of a life after we die. And oftentimes it causes us not to make the most of the life that we have, mm -hmm. you know, but. So then what happens though, after you die? I mean, according to you, just, you're just in the ground. Well, the flesh returns to the earth. Okay. You see? And the spirit returns from whence it came to Allah, God. Gotcha. In Islam, we believe that when we pass away physically, it's not really death in the sense of death, nothing else, no more, you know. But the life that we live, the works that we do, the good that we do, our children, our accomplishments, our achievements, these things that come from our essence into oh, it went out again. Darn it. I don't know why they okay. I don't know. hang out, but. Maybe we're being messed with. But, uh, That's possible. <laughs> it wouldn't be I the guess. first time, you know, <laughs> that you've given the Nation of Islam a platform and now they're, they're interfering with it on YouTube. Oh, but, my gosh. That's uh, horrible. <laughs> I would not be surprised. But, you know, uh, so the Quran says it like this, and I try to be a little briefer. It says, speak not of those who die in the way of God as dead for they are not dead, they are alive, but you perceive not. So we don't necessarily have a comprehension of how our essence continues after physical death, but we know that it is not some place 
in the sky, uh, especially since, you know, um, they've gone into outer space, you know, and uh, the Bible and the Quran. Interesting it is that in its descriptions of heaven, it's referred to as a land flowing with milk and honey. Mm -hmm. In some places, there are references to streets paved with gold. Mm -hmm. And the Quran says you will be sitting on raised couches in silken garments. You see, so the descriptions of heaven, even in the scripture, are descriptions of realities on the earth. Mm. Because rest assured, if you are somewhere and you have plenty of milk and plenty of honey, then that's somewhere where there's some cows, there's <laughs> some bees, there's some honeycomb, there's some grass for the cows to eat, you see. So these kinds of ideas and doctrines that many people believe in over many years have been inserted into religion such that now, you know, people really, yeah, pe people don't like for you to say <laughs> that this is it. Yeah. You know. Well, I, I think that you guys are doing a wonderful job at how you live here and how disciplined you are and how um, uh, how you all are unite and, and try to move forward as a people. I actually really love that. Um, I'm gonna close it out soon, but I, I do have some important questions that I've I've been dying to ask about. Sure. Um, one is the bean pies. What is the significance of the bean pies? <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> what is that all about? <laughs> the first first question is: Have you ever had one? I have, and it was good. So that's wonderful. It it's not. I don't say it's. I mean, it's nothing. It's it's like, you know, um, when I go out to eat, you know, sometimes I like Indian food. Sometimes I like Jamaican. Sometimes I like uh, Mediterranean, you know, and and whenever you eat any food from a different culture, there are things that, you know, are unique uh, to that culture. You know what I mean? I mean, if we're talking jerk chicken, you know, that's, you know, you know that's Jamaican. You know what right. I mean? Uh, if we're talking uh, Sharma of some kind, that's, that's Mediterranean. So, you know, that's a part of the culture of the nation of Islam. You know, we, we, we are a nation and we have a culture. You know, we have all of the things uh, that a nation has. Um, our challenge now is just to get more land, even though we have some land. Uh, so the bean pie, many people have learned about it. They love it. I mean, it's a crowd pleaser anywhere you go. Because uh, as a as a people, we love sweets, right? So, uh, but the bean pie is not an ordinary confection. Um, it's not an ordinary dessert. Uh, the root of the bean pie is the navy bean. Mm -hmm. Now, if you get a chance uh, and you want to, you know, this is 2021 and we all make resolutions. We're going to, you know, improve our health and diet and all of these kinds of things. This is a good time to get a, a book. It's actually two books called How to Eat to Live. It's written by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, volume one and volume two. And Sister Trish, when you read those books, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is going to write about uh, the Navy being 
Uh, the navy bean is a bean that is really like a perfect food. Uh, it was named the navy bean because in, uh, the, I think it was the 1940s maybe, uh, the U.S. Navy discovered that uh, consuming the Navy bean fights and interferes with the absorption of radiation into the body. And so since soldiers at that time was the first time nuclear war, atomic bombs, et cetera, radiation, you know, um, they would give it uh, to, to sailors and things, the Navy bean. But it has so many other wonderful properties. And when we begin to look into it, to research it, we find out that from the biblical perspective, there was a situation with Daniel. And I don't know if you remember when Daniel and the, the three Hebrew boys, they were imprisoned under the wicked king. I think it was Nebuchadnezzar, maybe. And so at that time, the king said, you know, all in my jurisdiction, you got to eat the king's meat and you got to drink the king's drink. Well, Daniel, as the servant of God, he said, I, I don't want to eat the king's meat. I don't want to drink the king's drink. Give me and those who are with me pulse. Well, when you look at what pulse is, pulse is little, tiny, small beans, just like the Navy beans. And the Bible goes on to say that after Daniel and his followers consumed that Navy bean, the Bible says they had a better physical appearance. They had better health. They had sharper thinking and that they were even blessed with the gift to interpret dreams and interpret signs and symbols. And so, of course, then Daniel goes on to famously uh, interpret the king's dreams. So all of the prophets and messengers of God, part of their message to their people involved what to eat and what not to eat. And I hate that as a community, we think that we can be religious people and just eat anything. You know, we think that, you know, we can just say our grace or pray over food that God has already condemned. We think that we can just utter some words over it. And it's just, <laughs> you know, it's all of a sudden, you know, safe for us to eat. You know, that's not how it goes. Yeah. You know, in the Bible, God condemns the flesh of the swine. And he goes so far as to say, don't even touch its dead carcass, you see. So the Navy bean we have been taught is a superior food. And you've had the bean pie, which is good. But especially now with COVID and the winter time, see if you can get some bean soup. It mm. is magnificent okay. and it is filled with uh, antioxidants. It is filled with uh, the kinds of vegetables uh, that strengthen your immune system. They help to purify the blood, onions, garlic, uh, celery. Oh man, I, I've got to make some tomorrow here. Uh, but you know. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> oh, it went out again. Yeah. Listen, I don't know why it keeps going out. These but, people in here listening, I think. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Of Alphabet course. people, maybe. <laughs> um, but that's excellent. Listen, I I still have a lot of questions, but I am going to to wrap it up. I really am. Um, thank you so much for coming on and for uh, educating us 
about the Nation of Islam, clearing up some questions that I have for sure that I've been wanting to know since I was 18 years old. <laughs> um, and finally got the, you know, the answers to, to them. Um, I know that next month we'll, we'll, we'll leave off on this. I know that next month is uh, February and uh, you mentioned, of course, Master uh, Fard Muhammad. And I know that February 26th is Founders Day. Um, Day. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Savior's Day. Day. Thank you. Um, so, uh, I just want to kind of close out with, with that, with Savior's Day and what that is. What do you guys do on that day? Do you do anything in particular? Do you pray 10 times a day on that day? I don't know. Let me know. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you educate us about Savior's Day and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. Uh, Savior's Day, uh, celebrates the birth of Master Farah Muhammad, uh, the founder of the nation of Islam, and we believe to be the fulfillment of the biblical and the Quranic prophecies about the coming of God. So we believe that Allah came to us in the person of Master Far Muhammad. And so February 26th, each and every year, uh, we celebrate his birth. And normally under normal circumstances, we would gather together for a convention um, in Chicago or in Detroit, uh, and we would get together and we would celebrate by having various events that help to share knowledge with our community. So Savior's Day often has uh, many workshops. Uh, since we preach and we emphasize economic development, there are vendor fairs for black business to, to come and uh, expose the membership of the nation to the products, goods and services that they provide. Uh, there are cultural exhibitions. Uh, if you search on YouTube, I'm sure you'll see some videos of our legendary and famous uh, drill competitions. Mm. Uh, if you like the Greeks, in their step shows, uh, they're good, but I would say that they kind of pale in comparison to our great drill competition. Uh, it was always one of the most well attended events uh, at Savior's Day. It's, it's standing room only. If you don't get there early, you won't get in. Uh, but the crowning event of Savior's Day uh, for the last 40 plus years has been a message, a worldwide message delivered by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. And uh, in that message, we'd like to say is the crowning achievement of Black History Month. And it really is kind of like a state of the union address for Black America, you know? And so it's always uh, very well attended. Most of the time it's a sold out event because I don't care if you Muslim, Christian, or agnostic, atheist, Minister Farrakhan has become the most trusted voice in Black America. Now, you you said that you were Generation X, Sister Trish, like myself. So you probably remember when we were growing up, there used to be an insurance uh, commercial 
uh, that would come on called EF Hutton. You remember the old EF Hutton commercials? And you know, the the punchline was when EF Hutton speaks, everybody listens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's how Minister Farrakhan is in black America. often hated by those in positions of power and those in the dominant white community. That really shouldn't surprise us because white America has never really loved our heroes. Those that are heroes to us, those who are the heroes and the liberators of the slaves. We should never expect that the slave master is gonna like them and honor them when it's their job to help us to get free from the slave master's grip. So that's the root cause of why they don't want Minister Farrakhan on YouTube and Twitter. I mean, this is a man that has cleaned up and reformed hundreds of thousands of men and women who would have been wayward, who would have been delinquent, who would have been in jail, or who would have ended up dead. Minister Farrakhan has never taken the life of anyone, and he has never commanded us to do harm to anyone. What you find in the followers of Minister Farrakhan are those who have a mind and an attitude that when we go out into the world, we are attempting to be saviors of our people and saviors of all men and women of goodwill. So Minister Farrakhan has said that in the early days, Savior's Day simply celebrated the birth of Master Far Muhammad, whom we refer to as our savior. But he said, you know, I want to, while we acknowledge him, let us also acknowledge those who are in our community, who have been in our community, whether they're in the nation of Islam or not, who have given their lives to help save our people. So Savior's Day, if you look at the language and if you pay attention to how it's spelled, you see that the apostrophe is after the S, indicating that we are celebrating and showing reverence to plural saviors. Gotcha. In Savior's Day, not only are we acknowledging and celebrating Master Far Muhammad, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but we celebrate Dr. King, Malcolm X, Noble Drew Ali, Fannie Lou Hamer, Ella Baker, the great heroes and heroines of the black struggle. And so frequently as we have those workshops, you have many different powerful brothers and sisters who are not members of the Nation of Islam. They come and they fellowship with us and they come and they share knowledge with us because Minister Farrakhan has said, this is a day for us to acknowledge all of our great ones. And so um, I'll probably be a little bit sad this year because it doesn't look like we'll be able to come together. But whatever we do that is virtual, uh, I pray that you'll get a chance to to tune in and and check it out and and, uh, that it will be uh, great and uh, a good, good opportunity for everyone involved. I will. I will definitely make sure I tune in. So thank you again. It has been such a pleasure, Brother Demetric. Um, let me see. So if people wanted to get it, let's see, I got in touch with you on Instagram. Right. <laughs> I reached out and I was like, right. you come on. Let's see. Do I have your Instagram? Oh, you know what? I don't have it on here. Let me put it on here. 
Um, let's see. It's at, is it, is it Brother Dimitri on there? Or is, is that? Uh, I think see. so. I'm not for certain. Let's see. Let's see. I'm going to get my phone right now so I can. Okay, here we go. There. It is at Brother Dimitri. Yep. Yeah, so, at Brother Dimitri. You're right. Follow him. Dimitri. Here we go. Follow him on Instagram if you haven't already. Um, I did uh, put it put it on. Okay, ad banner. There we go. Ad and there. All right. Follow him at Brother Demetric on Instagram. Um, also, uh, researchminister.com. That's our website. Yes, got that up it's here, and you can see many many books on here and I plan on getting, we didn't get even get around to the book I wanted to talk about, but there's lots of books on, on here that I'm going to talk about, especially because Malcolm X is like the reason why I even got interested in the nation of Islam. And I know you have a book about that. So I'm going to read that and uh, I have to have you back on maybe. (laughs) Where is a good time. Uh, I would certainly uh, be honored to come back on uh, February. Of course, not only is Savior's Day, but it's the um, anniversary. I forget which number of his assassination, which Mm. was February the 21st. So uh, every year we know that that becomes a news item. And so uh, hopefully this year we can uh, clear up some misconceptions because his assassination uh, contains a lot of myths that have been uh, circulated. So we would love to come back on and talk about that at some point in the future. That would be great. I need to read it. (laughs) So as soon as I read it, we'll have you back on. Awesome. Um, And of course, guys, you know, you can follow me at pieces.of.she, Twitter, piecesofshe1. You can also email me if you want to be on the show, um, talk about your, well, actually religion is over. I don't know what we're going to do next season. (laughs) (laughs) We're done. I had a ball. Um, But you can email me at trish at piecesofshe.com. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to everybody before we get out of here? Well, just gratitude and appreciation. Uh, for you inviting us and being such a very gracious host, um, you know, religion is 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 a uh, is a very sensitive issue. And as I looked at um, some of the earlier interviews that you did, I thought that you did a wonderful job of uh, affording everyone respect uh, and sensitivity uh, to their respective beliefs. And I appreciate you doing the same for us tonight. So just want to express my gratitude uh, to you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I I literally wanted to make sure that I allow people to educate me. So <laughs> I thank you so much. And I was educated beyond belief tonight. Um, we went two hours, you guys. I'm so sorry for taking <laughs> up all of your guys' time, but I'm, I, I hope that you all enjoyed it as much as I, as I did. Uh, Brother Demetric, we will definitely have you back on. Um, be safe out there. Uh, wear your mask, do all the good stuff. <laughs> and our paths will definitely cross again. Thank you. Do likewise. Peace and blessings. Thank you.